Okay, we are, we are in Joshua chapter 24. We may well finish up the chapter today, finish, finish up the book today. <clears throat> but Joshua chapter 24. And so Joshua chapter 23, which we read last time, showed how he had called the people together. And in fact, he says in Joshua 23, I am going the way of all the earth. That is an expression that David also used when he was about to die. So this is an Old Testament expression. Both Joshua and David used it when they were old. They would say, I am going the way of all the earth. So it's a confirmation that we're all going to die. And, and, and they had reached this point in their life. And now he's calling the people together. He's called all the leaders together. And he's sharing with them his last thoughts. Now this is really an important time. Imagine a person knows that they're about to die. And they, they have spent their lives, they spent 40 years in the wilderness working with, with uh, the children of Israel, getting them through the wilderness, and then they've, they, they've had seven years of conquering the land, and then another 20 years after that, waiting them for, for, for each tribe to do their, their particular small battles. He's been through a lot. So from the time he was, was uh, about 40 years old when he was sent into the land to the not time that he's now 110 years old. So, so you've, you've got 70-year period here that he's worked and labored. How are you going to summarize the whole thing? How do you call the whole thing together? And you can see that he's trying to get hold of their hearts before he dies. So Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and, and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so they are gathered here at Shechem. So Shechem is, is right here in the middle of the country. And that's where the ark was set up. That's where the, the, the uh, tabernacle was, was set up. It, they had not yet built the, the uh, that came many years later, hundreds of years later, that they're going to actually build a temple in Jerusalem. They still haven't even captured Jerusalem. They killed the king when he came out and attacked them, but they've never captured the city of Jerusalem. That won't c- occur for several hundred years till David captures Jerusalem. So they're here in Shechem, and it's at that same place in Shechem that uh, uh, Jacob had... had uh, I, had bought a parcel of land. Uh, we have references of Abraham being there in Shechem. So it's actually a very popular biblical place in Old Testament his, his, history. So it says, and, and then in, 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 uh, um, in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 24, it says, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So now Joshua is prophetically speaking and quoting God. So this is God speaking to them through Joshua. This is not just Joshua's words. This is prophetic words. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your father lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterward I brought you out. I brought you, your fathers, out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. 
and and the and Egypt pursued your fathers and cha- with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, but they cried out to the Lord, and He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Okay, so what God is doing? So remember, this is Joshua speaking but he's prophetically speaking and it is the Lord speaking through Joshua. And he says to him, he says, I took, in verse 3, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. God is saying, I took your father Abraham. I took him. This wasn't just happenstance. I took him. Abraham was the one, and he says, Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. They worshipped foreign gods. Abraham was the one who was called and came forward and came out of that land. And he says, I took Abraham. So you see the involvement of God in the life of individuals. I took your father, Abraham. God is very much involved in the lives of individuals. He says, I did this. He says, I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river. And then he says, he says uh, in verse 4, to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I'm the one. Who gave Isaac children? So he, he gave he gave uh, he gave Abraham Isaac. Abraham's wife was unable to have children. Sarah, he's the one who opened her womb. Then Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was unable to have children, and and uh, uh, and then God opened her womb when Isaac prayed, and Jacob and Esau were given. God gave them. God gave them. And to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it, but. Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. So again, he gave land. He gave land. So Mount Seir is down in this area. So, so, so uh, Esau had that area down there where, where, where current day Saudi Arabia is. He says, I, I, gave, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But to Jacob and his sons, they went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. Again, God's involvement in the lives of individuals. And then he says he plagued Egypt. There were ten plagues that came upon Egypt to be able to liberate them from the land of Egypt. And he says, I brought your fathers out. And they came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued them, and your fathers, with chariots and horsemen. This, at this point, some of these people remember that. Because Joshua, we know is alive at this point, and Joshua himself came out of Egypt he came with the, with the generation of the wilderness, but everyone who was under 20 in the wilderness, under 20 when the sin at Kadesh Barnea occurred, they didn't die in the wilderness. So there, there are many people now that might be in their 80s hearing this, and they've seen this with their eyes. They saw the Egyptians coming at them. He says, but when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and I covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. So now he's telling them, your own eyes saw this. In other words, there are people among you who remember what I did in Egypt. Other than, other than uh, uh, Joshua and if Caleb is still alive, we have no indication that he is at this point. But everyone who had been under 20 and is now happens to be alive, they're the ones who saw this. He says, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. This is really interesting. When the Egyptians were coming after the children of Israel... The children of Israel had all their families and all the flocks, and this was the Egyptian army. So how does the Egyptian army not catch up with them and kill them? Well, God put darkness between them, 
Isn't that interesting that God intercedes in the affairs of humankind to even insert darkness, to even give his people the protection of darkness when needed? You can read early things about the founding of this country where you see things where where, where, uh, uh, George Washington and his troops would pray and there was just utter darkness that protected them from the hand of the enemy. I've seen this sort of thing, not darkness come, but other things where, where we were competing, two groups were competing, and I prayed like crazy. And you say, well, that's an unfair advantage. You're praying, you know, for your own group. You bet it's unfair. Now, he can cry out to God, too, if he'd like to. But it, I have the Lord. I'm going to cry out and use the Lord on behalf of my business, on behalf of my research group and my team to win these competitions. You know, and, and I'll let God decide this. But I will cry out to the Lord. And they cried out to the Lord, God inserted darkness. You say, is that fair? That God took their side over the Egyptians? Was that... God can do what he wants. Remember, we have this expression, who died and made him God. In other words, we acknowledge that God is allowed to do this. The individual isn't, but God is allowed to do this. God does this. God intercedes in the affairs of human beings. But most human beings never ask him to succeed to intercede and he he intercedes on behalf of people and then he he says he says that that he swept the egyptians over with the sea he says your own eyes saw it and you lived in the wilderness for a long time then i brought you into the land of the amorites who lived by beyond the jordan and you and they fought you and i gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land when and i destroyed them then balak the son of zippor king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and he summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. So that's when they came up from this lower part. They never intended to fight with Moab because there was a relation to the Moabites through through, uh, Abraham's brother Lot. God didn't want them to fight the Moabites, but the Moabites attacked them. And so God destroyed them. And then they came up and destroyed the Amorites, which were on the east side of the Jordan, before they came into the west side of the Jordan. And so, so you can read about this. Actually, you, you, you can read about the, these, these battles earlier on in the Bible, where Balak, the son of Beor, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab. He arose to fought against the Israelites. The Israelites wanted nothing to do with them. They said, we are related to you. We have nothing to do with you. And he attacked them. And he hired Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse them. He says, but I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he had to bless you. And I delivered you from his hand. You know, there's an interesting verse in in Proverbs 26, verse 2. Proverbs 26, verse 2 says, A curse without cause does not alight. So in other words, if, if, you know, Westerners don't think much of cursing in the sense of a person proclaiming a curse. You know, they think that's a bunch of nonsense. Easterners often put a lot of value on that. A curse upon a home, a curse upon a family has a lot of value. And, and probably somewhere in the middle is right in the sense that, that uh, C.S. Lewis says that... that uh, um, we, we, have, we have two different approaches to, to, uh, to Satan. Either we disregard Satan, thinking that he's non-existent and he has no impact in people's lives, or we, or we show an unhealthy interest in Satan. And, and we, we start trying to learn more and more about him and his ways. And probably a middle ground is, is, is more sure. But if you're worried about a curse coming, 
upon you or upon your family, the scriptures say, a curse without cause does not alight. Like a sparrow and like a swallow in its flying, where it never quite, quite lands, a curse does not alight. It doesn't land without cause. And so there was a curse proclaimed upon them, but he was unable to curse them and all he could do was bless them instead. And he says, I delivered you from their hand. In verse 11, you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. So we never saw this before. When we talked about Jericho, it talked about how the walls came down, they came in and they conquered. We had no idea that when the walls came down, that the the residents of Jericho actually fought for that territory. We thought, well, maybe they gave up when their walls fought. No, no. They fought. Here, it's, this is the first verse in Joshua that tells us actually the residents of Jericho fought against them. And the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the uh, Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. We saw the same thing last week. God sends hornets. God uses the things of, uh, of the earth to fight for His children. God uses the things of this earth. God again and again intercedes in the affairs of humankind. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built and you have lived in them. You are eating vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. They came into a land that had been developed by the Canaanites before them. They came into vineyards that they had not planted. They came into homes that they had not built. And remember, these homes are made out of stone. They last a long time. You can go and see even some of them exist till today. God does this sort of thing. God intercedes on the behalf of human beings. So what He's doing is He's he's calling them to remember everything that had happened. And as I was reading this portion, I was calling to remembrance everything that God has done in my life as I thought about the things that God has done. When I was 18 years old and a freshman in college, I was struggling in freshman chemistry. And you say, oh, that couldn't be. Well, I was put into an honors class because I was a chemistry major, and this advisor in his wisdom said, oh, well, you should then be in honors chemistry. I needed to be in just regular chemistry. These people in honors chemistry had been studying chemistry, it seemed, from kindergarten. They, they knew all this, I'd never even heard of this. And to them, it was, it was all second, second uh, time, third time they were learning this stuff. And I was struggling with this. And I, I came to know the Lord on November 7th of my freshman year. November 7th. And, and I was all alone in my room. And somebody had shared with me a few months before, had shared the gospel with me. And when I invited Jesus into my life, things really started to change. And, and I started trying to read the Bible every day. And I started praying. And I would pray these short prayers and just cry out to the Lord. And I started praying for my work. I started praying for, for, for uh, my classes and that God would really give me understanding. And I'll tell you, from that time, things began to turn around. I was struggling in freshman chemistry. I ended up with a B-plus at the end of that semester. And then I ended up, after the four years, number one with, of all chemistry majors, and I took every graduate course that they taught in organic chemistry as an undergraduate. And God just blessed. And you say, oh, well, you know, you were just inherently smart. No, what I'm trying to show you, I wasn't just inherently smart. 
God interceded. You say, God, does God really do that? Well, duh, this is what we just read. Do you think he only intercedes here on Joshua chapter 24 or in the Bible and he just tells us how he used to do it with other people, but he has no intent on doing it with you? I mean, why would he dangle this thing in front of our face saying, look what I did for them, but I'm not going to do it with you. I mean, he wouldn't do that. He shows us that he intercedes on behalf of human beings. But most, most of us never receive because we never ask. In James chapter 4, it says, you do not receive because you do not ask. That is the primary reason why we do not receive. And then as I reflected more, you know, I, I knew that marriage was a very important decision. And long before I ever met Shireen, I was praying, Lord, I pray that you bring the right woman in my life. I pray, Lord, that you would do that. And I would pray that prayer every day. And when I reflect back, of the, and, and I reflect back to those prayers, and then I reflect on the woman that I have for a wife, I mean, she is just tremendous. Just tremendous. I, I mean, there's all these qualities that I never knew before we were married. I, you know, there, there, you only see a, you, you know, a, a subset of, of information about the other person when you're dating them. And we never really dated in, in the formal sense. I mean, I shared it with the pastor in the church and he shared it with her family. And we just prayed for months. We prayed for six months whether, whether we, we should get married. And, and uh, we, the only interaction we really had was through Christian ministry uh, that, uh, on campus. And then uh, after six months, all were in agreement that in the leadership. And I had told the leadership, you know, if, if we're not all in agreement, we won't get married. I just want to hear the will of God. And then after six months, everyone was in agreement except one of the assistant pastors who was very close to me. And I said, then we won't get married. And the pastor said, well, just wait. I mean, either he's hearing or we're not. Let's pray another six months. And I was okay with that. And we just prayed. And then when it was confirmed and I had the man's blessing, we got engaged. I mean, I wasn't going to move into engagement in, in a cavalier manner. But I had no idea of the treasure that I was getting. I mean, the laughter that she has brought into my life. I can be, you know, such a sourpuss all the time. And she's just always doing these things to make me laugh and, and, uh, and to pull me out of this serious, intense world. You know, I, I get this shrivel where it just get really intense between my eyebrows, you know, and just staring at things. She's just, just lighten up. Just relax. You're going to cause wrinkles in your face. Just, just relax. Calm down. And the blessing of what God did in providing for me a wife who I would just love for decades. And, and, uh, um, and, and I, I saw the hand of God and then, and then how he led me into a graduate program and had decided to work for a man. Why would I decide to work for this guy? He was a little bit famous, but not that famous. But decades later, he would receive the Nobel Prize in chemistry. So here I was educated, mentored by a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. How would I ever know that? What was going to happen decades ahead? Only God can know that. Only God can do that. But I was praying all the time for my career. I was praying all the time for my work. I remember in graduate school, we would have physical chemistry exams every Wednesday. I mean, can, every Wednesday. It was like torture Wednesday. Physical <laughs> chemistry exams. And I would, I would fall on my knees in my room. And I would pray the prayer of Asa. That I, and I had it up on my wall, and I, it, it, it goes like this. Lord, I pray that you provide strength to those who have no strength. 
and, and, and it goes on about how, how uh, there are people who are weak. We are weak and we have no strength. So fill me, O Lord, our God, I pray, and give me strength over my enemy. And I would go into those physical chemistry exams just then encouraged. I mean, God would just encourage me. And how I played, prayed specifically for my work. I mean, there were days that, that my research wasn't going well and I would go up, up on a hill and that looked over campus and I would just pray, just fall on my knees and pray for my work. And then I just see this trajectory. And it's very much like you're seeing here, what God is doing through Joshua and reminiscing and giving the history of it all. I look through the history of my life and what he did with my career. I mean, my career just exploded because we started working in this area called molecular electronics. Just because I saw something in a paper. And I hired a student and I was telling her about this. She says, I want to work on that. I, I thought, you want to work on this? You want to? Well, she started working on that. And we got famous through that. Just famous. We made this one molecule. And all of a sudden, they, they thought, wow, you can make electronic molecules like this. Nobody had ever done this before to build switching devices out of molecules. And we just fell into it. This was long before they started using the term nanotechnology. And then by, by the, the, uh, the 90s, the mid to late 90s, when the word nanotechnology was coming in, people would thought, what is nanotechnology? And people would say, oh, that's what that guy Jim Tour does. I mean, we were just in the right place. We were doing what was going to burst forth a decade later. We were already doing it. Who could know that? Only God knows that. But what happens is you pray and you seek the Lord. You have a career before you. Look at the amount of time, the amount of money that you invest in your career. I mean, try to calculate the amount of money that you've invested in your career and the amount of time and how much you give into this. Will you not pray and have God of all the universe intercede? He demonstrates before us over and over again in this chapter that he intercedes in the affairs of humankind. God intercedes. He brings darkness. He, he hides things. I pray all the time. I get data coming to me and I say, Lord, the Bible says that the, that the darkness and the light are the same to you. Lord, for me it's darkness. So give me light. Lord, you see where I don't see. I pray all the time, Lord, bring us into research areas that are going to birth forth. So we're there before anybody else is there. You know what's coming, Lord. Bring us into those areas. He will do the same for you, if you, but ask Him. You ask Him and you come every day falling on your knees and asking Him to bless your career. Bless your career. To provide for you the right spouse that He has for you. Ask of Him. He has riches for us. Riches for us. Imagine getting to heaven and seeing all the things that you could have had in this life had you only asked of Him and believed it. I mean, that would be a depressing day. I mean, I think of these Walmart superstores. You know, these just go on for miles of these warehouses. Oh, that's what you could have had. But you never asked. Verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So look what, what Joshua is leaving with them. Remember, this is the last words that the man is going to be teaching them. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. You fear the Lord and you serve Him. You fear the Lord and you serve Him. This whole idea of fearing the Lord. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. 
And we're going to read verse 26, Proverbs 14, 26. The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence and His children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. And I have said it before and I will say it again. Here it is. The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. You want to have confidence in your life? You have the fear of the Lord. God, I fear you. The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. There are many situations where I've been thrust into situations where I have to speak to groups of people, speak on topics that I never feel that I know, I, I know very well. And I say, Lord, I fear you. And then all of a sudden, He fills me with confidence. When we fear God, He fills us with confidence. Do you lack confidence for an interview? Fear God. Come before Him. Fear God. Say, Lord, you are King of all the earth. You are the one who controls this. Lord, I fear you. Now give me your confidence. And His children will have refuge. You want the best thing for your children? Fear God. The best thing that you can do for your children is fear God. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares, snares of death. By fearing God, you can avoid the snares of death. There are things that consume people, things that destroy lives, and they will destroy any one of us. Fall into adultery, as we talked about last week, and you will see it will destroy a life. There are things, fall into embezzlement, take money that is not yours, thinking that nobody is going to see. If you are a believer, be sure your sin will find you out, the Scriptures say. You think nobody saw, God saw. If God saw it, He will reveal it. Repent. Deal with these things. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Lord, I fear You. I know You see these things. How could I do that? Because You see it. How could I do that? So many men fall into, in, 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 into immorality when they're traveling, when they're on business trips overseas for months at a time, thinking that, oh, here I am in a foreign land. Nobody knows this. I mean, I've heard many of these stories from these guys that work for oil companies. They travel overseas with other, other, other folks and traveling for, for months on, at, at a time overseas. And how many men fall into immorality on these sorts of things, thinking that they're away from home, they're far away, no one's going to see. Oh, God sees. God sees. You fear God, and it'll keep you from the snares of death. Turn back to Joshua chapter 24. Verse 15, if it is disagreeable in your, eye, in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This famous verse, this is where it's from, Joshua 24. He says, choose. If you don't want to serve God, if you don't want to follow the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then choose who do you want to follow? Who is it? You want to, he says to them, you want to choose, you want to choose the, the gods you had in Egypt? You want to choose the gods of the Amorites? Wh who do you want to follow? Because you have to serve somebody. The scriptures talk about this. It says in, in Romans chapter 6, it talks about how you, we are slaves to sin. You're going to be a slave. You know, there was that, I, I, was, I was in college when, wasn't it Dylan came up with that song? You got to serve somebody. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I was in college when 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 that came out, and 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 uh, um, uh, and he he was talking about this. 
You have to serve somebody. You think, oh, well, you know, I don't have to serve anybody. I just serve myself. Oh, you serve yourself, you'll see. It'll be a wicked taskmaster. You see, life will be really rough. Choose who you're going to serve. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 17. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt for the, from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went among all the people through, through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land and who served the Lord. For he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good to you. So Joshua says, You be very careful about this. He's not saying you can never do it. He says, You just make your decision very carefully. In yourself, you're not going to be able to serve him. For he's a holy God. He says, if you forsake him, your lives are going to be miserable. And I will prophesy over you, over you today. I'm not a prophet, but because I have so many data points. That if you forsake the Lord, you marry whom you want to marry, who is not in the Lord, you will have a very hard life. You neglect the Lord. You neglect reading your Bible. You neglect service to him. And you will have a hard life. Jesus said in, 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 uh, in Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4, he says, you shall serve the Lord your God and you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you learn to worship the Lord your God, reading your Bible, because he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You learn to read the Bible. You learn to serve. You have a place of ministry, a place of service. Your life will go well. You don't, it won't. You will think back to this day. And this day will testify against you. And you say, I remember that, that professor from Rice was saying this very thing. I've made my life an utter mess. I prophesy over you this day. That will happen. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against you for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he, has, which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to his inheritance. He set this up and he said, let this be a witness to you. Let this be a witness to us today. That the decision that we make today to follow the Lord, he will bless your life. You make a decision to follow the Lord. In verse 29, it came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him, <clears throat> him in the territory of Timnath, Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. So if you remember the land that Joshua was given, he was given that exact land in the territory which belonged uh, um, to Ephraim be, uh, uh, because he, he was of that tribe. And that's just south of, of Shechem. 
And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah of Phinehas, his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. So remember, Eleazar was the man who stood at Joshua's side, much like Aaron was at Moses' side. Eleazar was another one, was one of the wilderness generation. And he stood at Aaron's side when they were dividing up the land. They died and they buried him. They brought up the bones of Joseph. Remember, Joseph said, don't bury me here. Bring up my bones when you go. By faith, he knew that they were going to go out. 400 years later, they come and they bury his bones. Where did they bury them? In Shechem, the same plot of land that, that uh, um, uh, they buried Joseph, that, that his father Jacob had bought 400 years earlier. He bought that land. And so you see that, that uh, uh, there was actually even no fight for that territory. For the city of Shechem, remember, there was no fight because that land had already been bought by Jacob. That was already owned by the children of Israel. They didn't have to fight for that land. They bought it. This is how he wraps up the book. He says, just remember, you fear the Lord. Just remember what God has done. You will look back on your lives with great gratitude. You will look back on your lives and you will be thankful for waiting for the right person from the Lord to marry. You will be thankful for decisions. And you call upon the God of heaven and earth to intercede on the affairs of humankind, to intercede on your lives, to do these things. God is gracious. God is good. You call upon Him and see Him intercede in the affairs of humankind. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for these young people. And I pray, Lord, that You would cause them to respect and to honor Your Word to fear God and to follow You. Father, that You would provide for them good marriages, good homes, good careers. Father, that they would seek You. That however much time in their lives that You have granted to them, that they would seek You, O Lord. Father, get hold of their lives. Get a hold of their hearts, I pray. Lord, I pray that they would honor Your Word and that they would be able to reflect back at all the great things that You have done in their lives. Father, I pray that You would give them a heart's cry for their careers, that You would lead them into fulfilling jobs that they love, to give them insight beyond their peers, that they would be able to be in places where other people never foresaw, but You see the future, Lord. Father, I pray that You would so fill them. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know You, Lord, open up their hearts that they would choose to serve you this day or as the scriptures say, they will be serving Satan, unable to be free from sin, in bondage to sin. Father, I pray that you would save their souls. And Lord, I commit them to you, these precious young people, I commit them to you for the glory of Jesus. Amen.